The New Statesman. Pretty much anything we look at tells us that life is under threat. No one organization is going to be able to solve these challenges. If we look at habitats, we see them disappearing. If we look at species extinction rates, we know they're running somewhere between 100 and 1,000 times the natural rate. Everyone's got a different piece of the puzzle. That nature that we all depend on is under huge pressure, to the point where some people are calling this almost a sixth mass extinction. We're leveraging advanced technology, Internet of Things, machine learning, artificial intelligence, to be able to apply to challenges and solutions that we haven't been able to before. We know the world is heating up. The global consensus is that we need to decarbonize to keep temperature rises below 1.5 degrees. But there is another element of climate action that gets arguably less attention, biodiversity loss and nature preservation. In 2022, the United Nations Biodiversity Conference for the first time agreed a new set of goals to halt and reverse nature loss to protect 30% of the planet and 30% of degraded ecosystems by 2030. But these are complex problems requiring collaborative solutions. How can we reverse such dramatic decline? In a world-first partnership, the Natural History Museum and Amazon Web Services, AWS, have come together to create a groundbreaking new tool to help scientists understand biodiversity in the United Kingdom like never before. In doing so, they hope to realize a long-term ambition to enable governments and organizations to take positive actions that actively reverse biodiversity loss and future-proof economic growth. This special episode of the New Statesman podcast is sponsored by AWS. I'm Chris Stone. When I was growing up, we were told that England was a green and pleasant land. Doug Gurr is the director of the Natural History Museum. And yet I think it would surprise most people if I told you that the United Kingdom is the most nature-depleted country in the whole of the G7. It's in the bottom 10% of the world. I think it surprises a lot of people because you look it out the window and you think, but I, I see, as I say, I see grass, I see trees. How can that be so? But actually what's happened, and it's really happened over the last sort of I guess 100, 150 years, is so much of our land has been converted to monocultures or conifer forests when it was ancient woodlands or we've lost the hedgerows, that actually when you then translate that into what does it really mean in numbers, it's shocking. Nature is under huge pressure and we know why. It's some of it is climate, some of it is land use, some of it is pollution. So with that amount at stake, having these new opportunities to engage people and these amazing new scientific tools couldn't be more important. The new tools Doug is referring to here include the fruit of an innovative partnership between the Natural History Museum and AWS to create an interactive digital copy of the United Kingdom. This allows scientists to monitor and interrogate a huge range of data to understand the state of biodiversity in the UK virtually in real time. They call it the data ecosystem. It's the first time anyone's gone out there and said, let's try and take an entire place, in this case, the whole of the United Kingdom, and let's try and create, if you like, a digital version of it in which we can store all of the information we can get, both from research scientists, but also from citizens about what's happening to nature. 
we've built this data ecosystem, which is sort of a digital copy of the whole of the United Kingdom, in which you can drill down, you can drop a map pin, if you like, anywhere on the map, and you can start to ask yourself what's really happening to nature in that place. And you can also go back in time and ask yourself, how's it changed over time? The data ecosystem is going to advance scientific research and progress on nature and biodiversity. Hilary Tam is on the AWS Sustainability Transformation Acceleration Team. Lots of big words, stat for short, because we need urgent action. If you think about climate, climate is a big challenge, but we do have a lot of historical data that allows us to understand the trajectory for us to stay within that 1.5 degree threshold. When it comes to nature, biodiversity, we're talking land, we're talking freshwater, oceans, atmosphere. It's very, very complex. Are we looking at hectares of land, the diversity of species? So it's a lot to process, even as talented as natural history museum scientists are. The data ecosystem is bringing together all of these data sets, often unstructured data, data that dates back to historical times, to help accelerate research, the kind of data collection analysis that can be helped with technology like AI so that we can focus human intelligence on the actual interpretation and turning it into actionable insight and execution. It's actually about creating a brand new scientific tool. So if you think about the way in which we observe nature, it's tended to be, you know, about people going out there with binoculars or catching things. So you tend to find it focuses on one or two very easy to observe species, almost always birds and butterflies. But of course, you say, well, what about the plants and what about the insects and what about the funguses? So this is a chance to really give you for the first time ever a multi-location, many, many different places, multi-species, almost always on continuous observation tool. And science has never had that before. So it's an amazing new scientific tool. But also the way we're delivering that is all about finding an amazing way of engaging people with science and with nature. A centrepiece of the project will be found in the Natural History Museum's very own gardens in South Kensington, London. As part of the Urban Nature Project, the museum is partnering with AWS to install state-of-the-art new sensors around the site to learn about how nature changes in an urban environment. What we're really interested in is, well, what is the effect of noise pollution on nature? How does it affect pollinators? How does it change the way that birds actually make their sounds? How does it change the way that perhaps species like amphibians or frogs that depend on that for their mating, that depend on croaking for their mating signal, can they still do that in a noisy urban environment? There's in-garden, in-soil, in-situ sensors, be like bioacoustic, could be visual, could be tracking moisture in the soil. And from that data adding in machine learning and artificial intelligence, AI, ML, to be able to actually take that data and start analyzing it and to draw conclusions. Similar technologies are also being used to analyze data gathered from school children all around the United Kingdom as part of a project called Nature Overheard. This is a really fun project. You know, it's a genuinely new piece of science. But it's a new piece of science that's been developed, if you like, hand in hand with people. And in this case, it came out of a lot of work we did with 11 to 14 year old kids. And it's called Nature Overheard because it's all about going out in your neighborhood, in your local environment, in your town or your village or your city 
and just saying, what can you hear? Many, many people are out there with the ability to record a sound on a phone. But of course, that tells you not just a recording of the sound. It also tells you when it was recorded and it tells you where it was recorded. So we've got thousands of young people out there recording nature where they live. We can take that little piece of information and bring it up into this data ecosystem, which remember basically says for any point on the map in the UK and for any moment in time, what can we see here? And so we've got all of these different recordings of different creatures. We can compare that with scientific data we have about noise recordings or about pollution levels we might layer in or about the weather or any of these other things. And you start to actually get all of these different interwoven overlaid data sets. And that's the stuff you can do to do the really clever science. Of course, you need the really clever scientists to do it, but you can't collect the information to work on unless you have real fantastic engagement of citizens. You are out there making your recordings or collecting the information, contributing it through the data ecosystem to what's genuinely going to change our understanding of the natural world. So there you go. We've created thousands, hopefully hundreds of thousands of scientists out there in the community. By combining large data sets all in one place, the data ecosystem could also create opportunities to use emerging AI technologies to interrogate data in new ways. Hilary Tam explains the future ambitions of the project. The next push is around generative AI, combining natural language models to be able to translate these conclusions into basically actions that everyday people can understand. So you can really just ask a question. For example, if I want to know what the biodiversity intactness was at this stage in time, in this place, compared to today, you can actually ask that question and have a story and visuals accompanying it telling you exactly what that state is. We've been studying nature for hundreds, if not thousands of years. But it's always been studied by humans who are fabulous, but they're quite slow, if you like, you know, because it takes a long time to listen to a million recordings. So actually, one of the most exciting things is how do you actually bring together some of these incredible new AI technologies, not to replace the scientists, but if you like to augment the abilities of the scientists. So you can become a super scientist because you can actually use a machine to make all the connections, to do all of this listening. But you have to bring that human understanding and intuition to really understand what's, what's really going on here. By bringing together two unique areas of expertise, AWS and the Natural History Museum have created a model for partnership that they hope could help to solve some of the world's largest problems. The importance of public-private sector partnerships or just multi-stakeholder collaborations is absolutely critical because we know that no one organization is going to be able to solve these challenges. And I think AWS, Amazon, we really understand this because one of our leadership principles is around success and scale brings broad responsibility and that's really our position when we are leaning into a partnership like the Natural History Museum. It's really around recognizing each of our core competencies and what we bring to the table because, yeah, everyone's got a different piece of the puzzle. There are amazing skill sets in different types of organization. 
And therefore, if you really want to get the best out of this, you need to think about partnerships. Here at the museum, we can bring great science. We can bring incredible ability to reach people and public communications. But there's just no way we could have brought the level of technology expertise or those sort of things that, that an organization like AWS can do. In terms of how AWS really leans into these types of partnerships is looking at what we're uniquely positioned to contribute and part of that is our technology. This is where we bring that technology to enable the museum scientists to do what they do best and really lean into the challenge so that they're not worrying about building, operating and managing data centers because that's not their their bread and butter. We do so much better where we can actually collaborate and where we really use the best of everybody's skill sets. And that's what makes it possible. As I said, the data ecosystem will be a world first. We could not have done it ourselves. I don't think AWSS could have done it themselves. Together, we can do something extraordinary. Of course, as an Amazon company, AWS are part of one of the world's largest and most profitable multinationals. They're not a charity. So I did have to ask Hillary, what's in it for them? Sometimes organizations see doing the right thing and doing the smart thing as contradictory things, right? How can we help people and planet whilst also ensuring that our business objectives are being met? And what we're really seeing is that actually sustainability is actually not just a way to look at how you can minimize the operational impacts of your business, but it's also a source of future growth, right? It's a source of looking at where next. It's the kind of future fit lifeboat, if you will, for many businesses to be looking at the way their existing business models operate now to actually what they look like in the future. And I think even for the museum, it's it's fascinating, right? This is a world-renowned public institution of science. Um, of course, we all also know the museum as like a wonderful place to spend an afternoon to really get immersed in, in, in the natural sciences. But ultimately, some of the conversations that we're seeing is really looking at these public institutions and the very valuable data they have to contribute to not just the public good, but also to inform some of these products and services at a commercial level. So we're starting to see that intersection as well of being able to connect these partnerships so that both organizations, both public and private sector, benefit from the wave of new products, services, and innovations. The innovations generated through the partnership of AWS and the Natural History Museum are already starting to help understand the scale of the challenge of biodiversity loss and point to some possible solutions. In a sense, the biggest challenge is how do you almost even explain to people that there's a problem? In some ways, when we talk about this planetary emergency and the sixth extinction, it feels a bit counterintuitive because you look out the window and you, you hear birds and you see trees and you sort of think, what's the problem? And that's why in some ways, when we were relying just on, you know, the ability of individual people to go out and make their observations, the problem was almost so vast that we couldn't possibly make it real. Whereas now increasingly what we can do is we can bring some science, we can bring some data, we can bring some measurement and we can actually start to, you know, give really important things like, well, how much of, for example, the UK's natural biodiversity still exists? Now, 10 years ago, we probably couldn't have answered that question. Today we can. It's 53% and it's not great. 
but we can fix it. So there you go. So the data is incredibly important in, if you like, giving you a handle so you can help people to understand that it really is a crisis we need to address. And you can help people to understand which of the actions we take will really make a difference. So actually, in some ways, I'm, I'm hugely optimistic that if you just look back the last couple of decades, the speed at which these technologies have developed is extraordinary. The speed at which they've begun to give us a handle on understanding nature is extraordinary. And, you know, if, in, if anything, we're racing just to keep up with the technology right now, but in a good way. Once species go extinct, once it's gone, it's gone. Unless you have that historical data where you can really go back and look at the kind of both visual and environmental DNA of that plant or wildlife to understand what's happened since human intervention and what are the interventions we need now to be able to meet those biodiversity goals. In 2022, the United Nations Biodiversity Conference, COP15, reached a landmark agreement on a new set of goals to halt and reverse nature loss around the world. Recognizing that nature is vital to meeting the existing sustainable development goals of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees, world governments agreed a global biodiversity framework containing a raft of pledges, including to reduce the rate of extinctions tenfold by 2050, to protect 30% of the world's habitats by 2030, and to restore 30% of the world's terrestrial and marine ecosystems. We finally have that big vision for nature and biodiversity, and now it's really working backwards to see how we can meet that. It's a global challenge. You know, we have to treat this on a global basis. Clearly, what we all want to see now is, right, let's, let's get in there and try and ask some really important questions like, well, which 30% and how do we know what state it is and how are we going to measure it and how are we going to monitor it? We're deeply involved, along with a number of other sort of brilliant organizations around the world, on trying to bring exactly that information so that we can help to support governments around the world in implementing the policies they've committed to by giving them the information and the data. And it's precisely this ability and projects like the data ecosystem that begin to give you that picture of what's really going on. And once you've got that picture, we're so much better informed to hopefully make the right decisions. Despite the headlines and sometimes the, the doom and gloom, the reality is like we are moving in the right direction. There is progress being made. There's collective action coming together. But the reality is we're not moving quickly enough. And I think this is where AWS leaning in with the accelerated innovation and technology is really hoping to help us meet that deadline. We've talked about a planetary emergency. We've talked about the biodiversity and climate crises. But crucially, we know these are fixable problems. We know that there is a path in which you can still have a good level of global economic growth so people can have their reasonable aspirations to a better life, not just here in the UK, but all around the world. But we can still have a, an economy that's growing, a global economy that's growing, in a way that doesn't overconsume the Earth's natural resources. And our hope is very much that, that through projects like this and through working with organizations like AWS, we can help, if you like, to uh, just nudge the world towards that sustainable path to a world in which both people and planet can thrive. The data ecosystem is an ongoing project which will continue to grow and develop as more people get involved. We want more data, we want more citizens involved, we want more scientists involved. Because the nature of these things is there's a huge effort to get it off the ground in the first place, to build the infrastructure, to get the things right. But actually it gets richer and richer the more you can add information into it. And that information comes through a combination of you know professional scientists, 
sequencing DNA, putting it in there, doing observations. But crucially, it also comes from citizens. So we just want to see more citizens involved, more young kids involved, doing science, doing nature, giving us more and more data from which we can come up with, hopefully, better and better solutions for our planet. If you'd like to take part in Nature Overheard, you can find out how by visiting the website nhm.ac.uk and going to the page labelled Take Part. And you can see the Urban Nature Project in action for yourself when the Natural History Museum's new gardens open in summer 2024. You've been listening to a special episode of the New Statesman podcast sponsored by Amazon Web Services. Our thanks to Doug Gurr, director of the Natural History Museum, and Hilary Tam of AWS. This episode was reported and edited by me, Chris Stone, with additional audio editing by Catherine Hughes.